Special thanks to Jason and Angela for being vulnerable uh, up there in front of you all. Um, yeah, give them a round. After the service, as Pastor Matt said, we're doing a, a class. And, and the class, the focus is like, how do you improve your marriage? That is not uh, what the sermon series is going to be. So those of you who are like, well, how does this apply to me? You know, I'm not married or like, I, I don't care. Um, it's not that. It's actually going to be more applicable, I think. And I, my hope is that it's applicable to everyone here. And, and to just give you a, a quick, like, where, where am I hoping to go at least this first week? I think every single one of us is trying to find meaning and fulfillment in life. We, we are searching for satisfaction. We are searching for something that fills us. And I, I fully believe the only thing that can fill us is God. But often, we seek those things in somebody else. Uh, often, we seek uh, those things in a spouse, or maybe if we don't have a spouse, we go, man, I don't, I don't have a spouse, so I will never be fulfilled. And so what I want to uh, look at today uh, for our first in, in this three-week series is look at some of the foundations of how God created marriage, some of the purposes for which God created marriage, uh, and and spend some time looking at some of the ways we have elevated some of these things above God himself, uh, and maybe some uh, looking inward that needs to happen for each and every one of us. So uh, I do want to start out by saying also, I am very aware at how sensitive this topic is for many. Uh, it, is, it is sensitive uh, at least for some, and for many uh, it can be even traumatic uh, whether you went through a difficult marriage that ended poorly, whether you have lost a spouse over a long period of time. I know this topic is difficult for those who don't, uh, don't align with what the traditional view of marriage is, and they see the church as painful and hurting and denying something. And so I want you to know, uh, I, I am going to try to approach this in, in a way that is sensitive to this. Uh, and my, my goal is not to shame anyone here. Uh, but my goal is to look at what the Bible says, first and foremost, and, and figure out what truths we can pull from it and how do we align our lives around it. Uh, something Pastor Matt, Pastor Todd, and I, whenever we're up here preaching, uh, that's basically the goal, is the Bible is first. We believe the Bible is the clearest representation we have of God. Outside of Jesus Christ himself, we believe that God has revealed himself through this book, through the authors, has spoken through them, and we believe this to be truth, and what we do is we go into the Bible first and then align our lives around what it says. But too often, it is very easy to go the opposite direction, to go, what do I think is true? What do I feel? What do I believe? And then, how do I make the Bible say what I want it to say? Uh, it is very easy to do that, and it's very easy uh, to, to think you're doing one thing and to be actually be doing the other. Uh, and so I want to just state at the beginning, my hope here is to start with Scripture uh, and pull out what we can from there. And, and with all that in mind, I definitely want to start with a word of prayer. So would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you be the one who speaks this morning? Not me. Would you be with every single person in this room, uh, those who are married, those who are unmarried, those who, this is a difficult topic. 
And God, would your comfort reign? Ultimately, Lord, I pray that, that, that my heart would be focused on you. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My rock and my redeemer. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Genesis 1, uh, page 1 of your Bible. No need to look in the table of contents. We're looking at Genesis 1 for a couple reasons. It doesn't seem like the obvious place to start when you're talking about marriage, but the reason we're starting there is because in the New Testament, in Matthew 19, when Jesus is asked about marriage and divorce, he references Genesis. Paul, in Ephesians, when he is talking about marriage and divorce, he references Genesis. And so in the spirit of Jesus and in the spirit of Paul, and just a good place to start in general in the beginning of the Bible, that's where we're going to go. So Genesis 1, and we're going to start in verse 26. This is part of the creation story here. It says, Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We're going to jump to Genesis 2, starting in verse 18. This is a, another account of this creation story. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And he said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is God's word. I want to pull three things out of this passage. Uh, three things that start in this passage and, and continue uh, throughout the rest of Scripture, okay? And the first one, which is probably the one uh, that will be difficult for some, but the first one, and we can't deny it here, is we see that God's original intent for humanity and God's original intent for marriage and bringing people together was that he created them male and female, two distinct biological sexes. Uh, and we see that these two biological sexes together are what image God uh, better than they do separately. And so in addition to that, right after that, we see that one of the purposes of this, of course, is to, to procreate. You have the fill, you know, fill the earth or be fruitful and increase in number. And this is not to say that all marriage should be uh, 
should involve childbearing, uh, but at least that childbearing should take place within the confines of marriage. And so there is a distinct physical nature to the way God created us and the way God created us to be together as humans. And, and what I want to say is that this physical aspect of the marriage relationship is so oversaturated in the world that we live in and is so elevated and is seen oftentimes as one of the pinnacle experiences of humankind. And if you are not having sex with the person you desire to have sex with, you are missing out on a key part of life. I'm not saying that's what the Bible says. I'm saying that's what we see often outside. You can't turn on the TV, listen to music, uh, do anything without being exposed to some type of sexually explicit material. Pastor Matt, just a couple weeks ago, gave us tools uh, for how do you keep these things from your kids because it is so hard to avoid it. Uh, and all you have to do uh, is listen to what's going on and see that the physical nature of, of the marriage relationship has been elevated. And if you don't know this, I'm just gonna use an example. It's an easy example. Uh, do we have any fans of The Bachelor out there? Okay, nobody's raising their hand for this one. There were some, <laughs> there were some shameful nods. There were, there were a couple years where my friends and I uh, enjoyed watching The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. And if you are unfamiliar with this show, I don't know how that's possible, but if you are, there is one lucky gentleman or one lucky lady and about 25 uh, excited and willing individuals, and the hope is to find a match. And I chose this picture because this is a guy named Juan Pablo, okay? And that was the first season I watched. Uh, and Juan Pablo, he wasn't the greatest dude. Uh, there was a woman at my church named Ms. Gloria, a lovely Jamaican woman, and she liked The Bachelor. She told me she liked The Bachelor, and we talked about it every week. And I said, Ms. Gloria, what do you think of Juan Pablo? And she goes, oh, honey, I do not like him. And I agree. But easy to pick on Juan Pablo. Here's the thing. The goal here is to, like, find the match. There is this, this underlying, you know, you find your other half. But you will notice in The Bachelor how quickly it goes from, oh, who are you, where are you from, what's your favorite color, to becoming physical. Uh, they are kissing immediately. And there are things at the end of the season, and it is this, this idea that if you don't, aren't compatible with this person physically, if you are not enjoying them physically, if you are not attracted to them that way, then that is not a relationship that should be pursued. And this is something that we see often in culture, uh, but we don't see it in the Bible. Uh, actually, very rarely do you get any talk about uh, an attraction or a romantic uh, aspect to the relationships in the Old Testament. Uh, I think it was Isaac, one of Abraham's sons. He doesn't even meet his wife. Somebody goes out and gets this person for him, and he meets them, and then the, the, the God's plan and promise of increasing the family of Abraham is, is furthered through that connection to them. There's no romance. There's no, uh, he's incomplete and needs to find this other half. It is all part of God's purpose and plan of furthering uh, what he is doing with his people. Now, a book that I stole uh, some of these ideas from, these are not all my ideas, um, is, is he said, a book called Breaking the Marriage Idol. Uh, and it's by a Fuller professor, Fuller Seminary professor, named Cutter Calloway, which is the coolest name you can have. And Cutter Calloway, uh, what he does is he looks at uh, pop culture and he looks at theology and draws these connections. Uh, and in it, he talks about 
this, this equality and yet biological difference between males and females. And he says this. He says, in the first place, if this male-female distinction lies at the core of what it means to be a human being, then human sexuality is first and foremost about who we are, not simply what we do. It's about our capacity for relationship, our profound desire for connectedness and intimacy, our longing to transcend our isolated individuality by becoming one with the other. It isn't merely about whom we have sex with or when we get to have sex or even whether we get to have sex. It's so much deeper than that. It's easy to pick on culture uh, on this topic and say they're all heathens out there. But I fully believe that we at times have been guilty in the church of also elevating the physical aspects of the marriage relationship. Uh, any young adult group is kind of jokingly described as a group where people are going to couple up and eventually get together. Uh, eventually, even when we talk about purity uh, in the church, there's this, this underlying idea that like, sex is bad, don't do it, don't do it, until you get married and then it's amazing. And all of you laughing because you know that's not how it is. Uh, and anybody who is thinking that, you know, this is the pinnacle of the human experience, I hate to break it to you, but you are going to be disappointed. And what we are actually doing when we say this is you are making an idol out of the marriage relationship or out of the physical pieces of being married. First part, God creates two distinct biological sexes. The second piece what do we see about marriage from the beginning of the Bible? Marriage is about companionship, all right? This shouldn't be, uh, this is a no-brainer for all of you. Of course, marriage is about companionship. In Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Just a quick side note, helper is not a subordinate role. It is an equal role often used for God in the New Testament. But in this creation story, what we see uh, is that the only thing in that first couple chapters of Genesis, the only thing that was not good in creation was that man was alone. Uh, and so in creating uh, other people, he created us for companionship. Uh, and one of the things that has happened with this is I think the entire world agrees that companionship is a very important piece to the marriage relationship. But again, it is so easy to think that until I find that other person, I am not whole. Until I find my other half, the other person who can do my Instagram heart uh, on a sunset photo, until I find that other person, you are, you are missing something in life. And, and to another easy example, if you've ever seen a Disney princess movie, uh, you have seen this. Uh, you have seen a, a constant barrage of telling little girls that they are not enough until they find their prince charming. How often there is a danger and, and literally a life-threatening thing that happens, and what, what saves them? True love's first kiss. Oh my gosh, it's the, the true love and the other person is almost salvific in a lot of popular culture. I'm choosing Frozen here because it's an easy example, and they, they kind of make fun of this trope, and then they fall right into it. In the beginning, Anna here, 
uh, sings a song with Prince Hans, who she just met. I know you all know this movie. She sings a song, Love is an Open Door, and they just met, and they're talking about my whole life. I've been searching for who this other person, and oh my gosh, we just fit so well together. Uh, and they harmonize, and at the end, he literally says, you know, oh, can I say something crazy? Like, will you marry me? And she's like, yeah. They just met. She's been searching her whole life for this person, and this person is going to save her. Spoiler alert, he's the bad guy in the movie, okay? He betrays her, and so they're, they're kind of making fun of this, okay? Love at first sight. But then, what do they do the entire rest of the movie? She falls in love with this guy. The entire rest of the movie is just, oh, the person I actually love was there the whole time. It wasn't this other person, and she actually is in danger and needs a kiss from him uh, to make her better. They, they make fun of the trope, and then they do exactly what they said they were making fun of. Uh, if you think Disney movies are the only ones that do this, I want you to, there's a famous test you can do for movies called the Bechdel test. I don't mean you know this, there's three rules to the Bechdel test. And you'd be shocked how many movies don't pass this. Are there two females in the movie? Do they speak to one another? And do they speak about something other than a guy? Two females, do they talk? Do they talk about something other than a guy? Be shocked that your favorite movie doesn't pass that test. Again, the church is not immune to this narrative. I said it before, but young adults groups become when are you gonna get married groups? Anyone who's under 30 has heard that question over and over and over again. Uh, when I was training actually to become a pastor. I was, I was working with another pastor and we were going through the tests that need to happen. He literally told me, he goes, oh, you're married. Make sure you put a picture of you and your wife on your resume because it'll look better. And he wasn't saying it was right or wrong to do that. He was just saying it will because somehow being married meant something better. Uh, and how often, and for those of you who are, are single out there, how often have have, have we just forgotten about you in the church? And, and I want to say, at least for myself, I apologize for that. Because as we're going to see in future weeks and as we read more into Paul and others, Paul actually says it's better to be single. He prefers that people be single. But we never preach on that passage. We see from the beginning that God creates two distinct biological sexes, and the physical nature of that relationship is a key thing that we see all throughout Scripture in the marriage relationship. We see that God creates uh, two distinct sexes for companionship so that they can come together, so that they are not alone. But again, it is possible that we elevate both the physical nature of the marriage relationship, we elevate this companionship, and we end up putting pressure on our spouse or some other person that they just cannot bear. Which brings me to the third piece that we see in marriage in this beginning. Marriage is symbolic of God's relationship to his people. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, you get a glimpse of this, but you see this more as scripture continues. This is after the man and the woman have sinned, and it says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. In the very beginning of scripture, we see that why were people created? They were created to be with God. 
They were created to be in communion, in community with God. And, and I said this in a previous sermon, but, but what we see is that when they sin and when that relationship was broken, the same word that is used for, for being banished from the garden is the same word used for divorce in the Bible, that there was literally a tearing apart of this relationship between God and his people. And at the very end of the Bible, what you see is you see this marriage imagery come back that God is returning and the bride of Christ, the church, the people of God are ready. Listen to some of these passages in the Old Testament. Isaiah 54, 5. For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. Jeremiah 3.20. This isn't so great language. Uh, but like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me. Over and over and over again in the Bible, what we see is that the people of God look to things other than God to fulfill them to give them meaning, to give them purpose, and to give them satisfaction. I heard this uh, story when I was in seminary. I took a class where we uh, practiced giving weddings and funerals. So it was like a preaching class, and we focused on weddings and funerals and, and holidays. And as we were talking about you know, how we feel about doing weddings, none of us had done them uh, at the time in the class. Uh, all of us were pretty excited about doing a wedding and not so excited about doing a funeral. And we had one girl in our class share that she had a, a, a pastor or a mentor who actually said he prefers funerals to weddings. And we're like, why, why? That doesn't sound great at all. And he said, because at a funeral, it is so easy to keep the focus and attention on God. At a funeral, people are wondering, what happens after we die? You are focusing on the grace of God. You're focusing on the goodness of God because it is all in God's hands at that point. But at a wedding, it is really hard to focus on God because everyone is focused on the couple. Everyone is focused on the couple that is getting married. Everyone is focused on, on the life that they are about to live. Everyone's focused on this, and God is kind of a side character at the wedding. And so he preferred to do funerals over weddings because what he felt is that the, the focus should be on God. Uh, and unfortunately, there are times where it is not. My, my point in all of this is that although you might think that you are immune to all of the, the, the things going on around us in culture, that you are immune to the thinking of The Bachelor or Frozen or all these Disney movies, uh, it, it seeps in. It, it seeps in, and, and whether you are married and you are putting pressure on your spouse to be all, everything for you, or whether you are unmarried and you are thinking that someday someone will come along that will make me feel complete, I, I hate to break it to you, but you are putting your spouse in the place of God, and you are putting pressure, and you are putting all of these things on them that they cannot possibly bear. Uh, and to do that is to make an idol out of the marriage relationship. To do that is to make an idol out of things that are not God. Going back to that book uh, I was talking about, Breaking the Marriage Idol, he says this. He says, it most certainly 
is not good for humans to be alone. We can be sure of that much. But the answer to being alone isn't marriage. It's community. Better yet, it's communion primarily with God and also with each other. This is how the biblical narrative understands what it means to be fully human. If you are thinking that you need to be married uh, to, to complete your life or to look better on a resume, you are, you are elevating marriage above where it should be. He goes on to say this. He says, the primary human dilemma, according to the biblical narrative, is not that we desire otherness or even that we seek to express that desire in a variety of concrete ways. It's that time and time again, humans attempt to satisfy their basic aching for otherness through some means other than God. In the case of marriage and sex, we seek to fulfill this desire through security, intimacy, or pleasure that we believe another human being can provide. I am guilty of this. Uh, I am guilty of, of putting pressure on my wife to be everything for me, to be my therapist, to be my companion, uh, to be the one I can vent to, to be the one that also encourages me, to be the one who makes me feel whole. And she cannot, she can carry a lot, but she cannot carry that. We went back to the beginning of the Bible because I, I, I believe it is important because what, what the biblical narrative is doing it is it is working towards an end that was lost in the beginning. Uh, it is working towards an end. God created it a certain way, and what is happening is we are working back to the way it was. And we are just like all those people of God, those adulterous people of God who are constantly going, yeah, 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 God. I hear what you're saying. I hear you're saying you created us for yourself, but I'm, I, you know, I'm looking at these people with a lot of money, and they seem like they got it figured out. I'm looking at these people in these videos who are having lots of sex and it looks like they're having a good time. I think I'm gonna go that direction. I see these people who are married uh, and, and I see how happy they are and I don't have that. I am not complete. I am not full. St. Augustine, who is the king of, of this line of thinking, says to do that is to have disordered loves. To have anything above the love of God is to have uh, a disordered heart and a disordered love. And he says it in one of his books in the very beginning of the Confessions. It's, it's a famous line. He says, God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. My hope and my prayer for every single one of you, whether you are married or not, uh, is that you would not put that pressure on your spouse, that you would not seek to satisfy that restlessness by putting that pressure on another human being, another imperfect human being, but that you would first and foremost seek the God who created you, for whom you were created to be known and to know. You were created to be loved by God and to love God, and satisfaction and purpose and fulfillment will only come through that. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. I thank you for those who are married. I thank you for those who are unmarried. I thank you for those who might be willing this morning to take a second and look within and say, am I putting pressure 
on someone else? Am I elevating any aspect of my marriage or my relationships or even my hope for a relationship above you? God, I pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us as a church and as a community, as a people of God for for letting these these thoughts and, and ways of the world infect us. Forgive us for neglecting those who are called to celibacy. Forgive us for neglecting those who don't fit uh, the traditional mold, for focusing our attention on one group rather than another. Forgive us, Lord. And may we be a community uh, that, that supports one another, a community that doesn't seek its ultimate you know, companionship and community through a spouse, but we are there to lift one another up as brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to be your church your faithful church. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you all for being here to worship with us this morning. Just a couple of uh, logistics for after the service. If you are looking for prayer, that, can, that is going to happen right up here to my right, to your left. Uh, if you want to learn more about Bonnie Henson and her ministry, that's going to be in the social hall uh, right after the service. And if you're part of the class that's going to take place, vertical marriage class, that's going to be in the chapel. Uh, following the service. So lots of different things going on uh, for you to check out. My hope and prayer for everyone is simple. It's, it's, it's basically what the song just sang. My, my hope and prayer for each and every one of us is that we would build our life upon God's love uh, because that is the firm foundation, that we would stop seeking fulfillment and meaning and purpose and satisfaction in anything other than God, including somebody else. So may we be a church that seeks God first. Go in peace.